You're listening to the X-Bank Podcast, a series of conversations exploring the how in digital banking transformation. Over the coming episodes, we'll pick apart the concepts, look at the practical steps, and analyze live examples alongside industry movers and shakers. If you've ever wondered what it takes to get transformation done, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Fran Sorrentino, Client Partner in Financial Services at Publicis Savit. In this episode, I'm joined by Aubrey HB, Director of Advanced Analytics for Nationwide Building Society, and my Publicis Sapient colleagues, Zach Scott and Simon James. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to explore the uses and effects of AI and ML in banks today, where we are in the journey of adoption, and what's next. So, Aubrey HB, thank you so much for joining us. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling from my home in Newbury at this exact moment, uh, halfway between Swindon and London, which is a convenient place to be given Nationwide's dual offices that we're currently operating. Lovely. How long have you been at Nationwide, Aubrey? Since April of 2019, so just about 18 months. So far, so good. So far, great. (laughs) Love the UK. We're glad to have you. Um, I have a lame introductory question for everybody, uh, which is what is your favorite real or fictional AI powered personality? For me, I would have to say Ex Machina. If you have ever seen the movie, it was a very interesting um, foray into really understanding the Turing test and being able to really identify when a computer takes over versus is actually human. So I thought it was a really, really good science fiction movie that addresses the the more challenging themes of understanding AI versus human interactions. That is so much of a more sophisticated answer than Rosie from the Jetsons, which was mine. Simon James, welcome. Morning. Um, Tell us a little bit about where you're calling from, and I'm going to need your favorite AI personality as well. Um, I am calling from today, Leafy Surrey, and um, my favorite AI, I'm going to um, change the question slightly by answering it metaphorically, and I think the the best AI-powered personality is Raymond Babbitt from the film Rayman, because I think we all saw his amazing computer-like processing power in his brain for being a, a savant, but also his childlike naivety, which I think is a good uh, metaphor for AI today. Mm, great answer. Zach Scott, thanks for joining us. Where are you calling from and who is your favorite AI personality? So I am calling from my kitchen, which is in uh, in West Hampstead in London. And I guess I, I just watched a, a movie, which wasn't great, but it was called Jexy. And what I liked about it was that the AI was not necessarily you know, understandable by humans, um, but in the end did kind of help create a better outcome for the main character so that not all algorithms actually are understandable, even if the outcomes might end up working out in the end. Mm. Great answer. All right, well, let's dive in uh, for our listeners. Um, You know, I think the first thing we want to do while we're together is just talk about what the state of play is. Um, And before we jump into that, I thought it'd be useful to just set the table. Um, You know, there's no possible way you can live and listen to the news and not hear AI and machine learning all the time. Um, Algorithm has gotten a lot of bad press lately. 
But Simon, can you kick us off with some definitions of those terms and in simple, in simple terms, what it means for financial services? Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone has their own definitions, but broadly, machine learning is really a subset of artificial intelligence. And the machine learning bit is the way that machines can, uh, can kind of learn from data without explicitly being told what to look for or what to do. And they can make uh, predictions tirelessly, fast, accurately. Um, but, and it can do that across numbers and, and language and, and, and video and images in a way that you know, computing power lets us do today that was never possible like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, artificial intelligence also includes a kind of element of decision-making and that's the contentious part really, because um, generally we were safe when computers make predictions, but humans ultimately make the decisions. When you start delegating the decisions to, to uh, a computer like an algorithm in the, the kind of the recent uh, GCSE and A-level test, then that's where um, you know, the edge cases, people who are miscalculated, we call them type one and type two errors, false positives and false negatives, you know, that, and what's, what's the cost of that? What's the human cost of that? You know, machines aren't very good at calculating those types of things. So that's the real difference that ML is a subset of uh, AI. And where we're starting to see it in financial services, well, obviously, anywhere there's a process that was, that was carried out by humans, that took a long time, that was, that was prone to error, you know, that's what a machine is pretty good. It can do it faster, more accurately, um, as long as it's kept to a simple task, you know. So that's generally where the first place where you see kind of intervention. And then over time, more complex things, either technically complex, like, you know, um, uh, document uh, checking online, where, you know, we hold our driving license up to the, to the camera, you know, checking that is you and looks like the person on the camera. You know, that's where AI is using computer vision to do those things. So definitely seeing a lot of uh, attraction from those kind of areas. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And across, you know, the financial services organization we work with at Sapient, you know, what is the most successful application? Is it processes? You know, what, what are the conditions to make AI successful in financial services? Well, I think today, you know, where there's a known cost and you can make an improvement in that cost, then everyone's happy about that because, you know, there was a big cost and now it's a smaller cost. And so that can be tracked. I think some more of the, the futuristic edge cases, like the value is unknown yet. It's still mm -hmm. in a kind of very experimental kind of mode where, um, you know, the opportunities might be much bigger than the cost saving, but there's less faith in, in producing the returns on that. And therefore, progress has been a, a bit slower. Obviously, everybody loves it where there's there's a black and white outcome to something and therefore we, we tend to over index on things that we can easily measure in life and this is one you know good example of that makes a ton of sense aubrey tell us a little bit about where you're at where you're making headway um, in nationwide well we just recently started to build out our advanced analytics capabilities when i joined so we've kind of dabbled a little bit in training up our data scientists in areas of um, neural networking. And so one of the original use cases that we did was actually identify footfall traffic of some of our branches using CCTV camera. And, and it's really, for us at this stage, it was just experimental to identify that we could do it. Um, that on the flip side though, we've been doing a lot of machine learning in the space of process optimization and cost reduction and understanding data flows between different pieces of hardware, infrastructure, systems, in order to really optimize our processes and reduce the costs and the error rates um, that could happen when you've sort of done a 
buildup of a legacy estate, which is very, very common in the financial industry, as well as pretty much any industry that was born or a company that was born prior to the internet being born. Um, so for that's really where we focused. We've also been looking at applying machine learning techniques into a lot of our fraud detection cases in order to improve our ability to track when fraudulent activity is happening in the financial crime space. So we've been really focusing there first and foremost. Simon, it, it's really helpful for me when you talk about, you know, what's what's hype and what's just good data and analytics practice. Can you talk a little bit about that? What what are the game changers that are accelerating AI progress, if there are any, or is it just about good machine learning? Well, I definitely think good machine learning is at the core. You know, if, if statistics is at the core of machine learning, then machine learning is at the core of, of AI. And, you know, as a practitioner, it's always really important to be able to track things back to first principles, because unless you can work out, you know, if you can logically explain what you're trying to do with data, then, and or you the alternative is you just have a black box algorithm, you can't explain it it's gonna fall over one day in a way that you don't understand. So as you know, a responsible practitioner of building machine learning or AI, you really got to understand how your model works and be able to explain it to someone. Mm. Even though the model itself doesn't come with all those safety handles and things, you have to go the extra mile to be able to, to explain it because one of the big challenges is when you're exposed to data you've never seen before. So you know, 2020 is a great example. We've never lived through a time like this before. Therefore, a model has never seen this data and therefore doesn't know very well how to deal with or be very accurate so you know that's one of the changes in, in, in terms of so fundamentals never going to go away and everything's going to be built from the bottom up now everyone wants the moonshots but actually the fundamentals you know are the things that keep everything going um when people like generally in any feature film there's a sense of general intelligence a robot that knows everything and that's probably the bit that's furthest away you know there isn't a general intelligence that can solve every problem it's generally when we start to break down and, and, and solve problems on a one-to-one -one level you know, individual problems can be solved like i could maybe help you you know uh, uh cancel your debit card and find a replacement if you lose it in a through a chatbot because it's a very narrow set of questions that you're gonna have. I can predict what those questions are gonna be. And actually behind the scenes, there's already a manual process or an automatic process that does that. And all we're doing is putting a, a front end, a customer friendly user interface that allows you to get to a positive outcome faster. Now those things are all eminently possible and can be dealt with today. It's more like, Fran, if you give me 10 grand, I've got a robot that's gonna invest that for you. And in a year, you're gonna be a millionaire. That's probably not true. And it's probably um, not gonna happen because of the, the the complexity of that. And you know, the kind of the guarantee of certainty that just isn't, isn't possible at the moment. Well, that's very disappointing. And this podcast is over. Um, Aubrey, tell me a little bit, you know, does that jive with you is, you know, both with your eyes on nationwide and what you see across financial services. Is that true for you as well? Is it that point solution? focus? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we've been really concentrating on within Nationwide is actually getting the right minds behind the people encoding these algorithms. I'm very purist in ensuring that all of the data scientists that work at Nationwide are really top-notch technical experts in mathematics and statistics because it all goes back to that uh, transparency issue. It's all the, the audit. That's actually one of the reasons why I came over to work for the financial services industry in the UK is I really liked how regulated it was and requiring the fact that all decisions needed to have a 
potential for human intervention. And it's only when you can explain the algorithm at the end of the day that somebody can determine whether or not the decision was accurate. So for us, we're entirely focused on ensuring that the mathematical processes that sit behind our machine learning and AI are sound, are well articulated, and are transparent for any and all use cases. And that becomes a lot easier when you're really focusing on a single solution instead of, as Simon said, a black box version that would hopefully you would you would hope would actually solve multiple and many varied kinds of use cases. So for us, it's really start small, grow out, and ensure that what we have done is accurate and able for us to explain it to the regulators as well as to our members. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think those checks and balances as you've described are critical um, with AI. And what I'm continuing to hear more of is the ownership, the responsibility of you know, the ethics of this tool being with the creators um, and not necessarily with somebody who's gonna check somebody else's homework, right? All right, well, let's move on from sort of where we are today to what might prevent us from progressing and maybe what we can do about it. Simon, you know, there, we're talking about regulation, we're talking about, you know, the guardrails um, that need to be really explicit uh, for financial services and the security and safety of, of members and colleagues. Can you talk a little bit about the comfort level you, you see across enterprises? And do you think some of the you know, recent press about badly applied AI affects that comfort level? Yeah, well, I'll first start with, you know, legislation is the floor, not the ceiling. You know, we shouldn't aspire to be uh, in line with legislation. That's the minimum element we've got to always aspire higher and the trouble is is for, for many walk, walks of life and technology law at the moment um the law is struggling to keep up with the pace of change in digital so you know obviously the last couple of years we've had uh, the gdpr legislation come in you know it's been 20 years since that law had properly been updated prior to that and you know the world had changed in that time so you know there's a constant um arms race with trying to keep ahead of legislation but you shouldn't aim to be you know, legally valid, you need to gain much higher than that. And the trouble is there's a big difference between what we can do and what we should do, because we can pretty much do anything these days with the computing power and the data that we have, but there's a much slimmer um, set subset of things that we should be doing with the data that, that adds value for the customer, does it in an ethical way, um, and uh, you know doesn't lead to bad practice. And one of the big challenges is unintended consequences of what we're doing. You know, so we could we could build a credit risk model and improve that, but we might be tuning out a, a subset of the of the of the country that um, you know we can't no, no longer want to add, uh, give credit to. You know, and that might be biased. You know, and therefore ensuring that we're not being biased and, and checking for those things is 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 important. But the things that are holding it back is really things like reputational risk and the risk of things going wrong. Um, and that's why, you know, when you begin, you must really try and focus on things, you know, minimizing, mitigating that risk, because it, otherwise it's one step forward and, you know, two steps back. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I know you and the team have done a ton of work on unbiased AI and the ingredients of doing that really fairly, which might be a whole other podcast. Um, definitely, definitely. But I think the first step in that is acknowledge that bias exists and exists from the humans. It exists in a historical way we've treated people. Uh, you know what we've done with them so like in, unless you can um uh, recognize the bias you can't go to step two and you can't begin to start solving for it 
Yeah, agreed. And certainly the, you know, the conversations we're seeing in the media about those biases might, you know, create a little bit of a fear factor for progress. But, you know, Zach, I'm interested in your perspective on this. Is it sort of the hype or is it, you know, the way that organizations are set up to deliver AI and ML that you think really hinders progress? Um, it's a very good question. I, I think a lot of focus when it comes to data and AI, AI come, tends to come on, you know, the quality of the data and getting it in one place and then, you know, the actual technology and kind of other capabilities required to use that data effectively. Um, what I tend to see actually though, is that the, the kind of major challenge is actually beyond that. And it's in converting the insights that you generate from your AI and ML and actually like delivering that and bringing that to life uh, for your clients, for your colleagues. And um, I think the realization that a lot of firms are having is that uh, unless you're better connected as an organization, unless you are better able to connect, you know, a, a new and improved uh, model to the different workflows that need to change to the way that people need to change their roles to, to the way that they need to change how they uh, interact with each other and with customers. Uh, it, it doesn't kind of matter how, how smart you are if you can't bring it to life. And so a lot of the change that we're, that I've been seeing is, is that realization and, and the realization of the need to, as you say, eliminate some of those organizational silos um, to be able to go not just from a great idea, but actually bringing it to life and bring it into production. Yeah, and is it an education question? Is it an access question? How would you, you know? I think it's 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 kind of all of the above. I think there's a bit of it of um, kind of better connecting uh, the different folks so that you don't have a data and AI team over here doing some great stuff, but then a, a kind of customer facing or call you know a backend operational team over there doing something else and and them not being connected. Hmm. Um, I think the educational part comes with the fact that. Um, it's always going to lead to some form of change and change always will meet with some form of resistance and always requires some degree of education. And in particular, you know, when you're talking about things like AI, ML, you might be kind of overturning, you know, decades of, you know, institutional wisdom that you basically are proving is, is not correct anymore. And that will meet with a, quite a lot of resistance. And the, the, as part of that, one of the, the kind of big things I, I tend to see is that uh, as part of that resistance, there's an unfair standard setting that gets applied to AI and, and ML and kind of data-driven approaches in that um, it's almost expected that they're perfect from the start, or if they have any flaw, it's kind of like picked at, um, when in reality, actually, if you kind of turned it on its head and said, well, how well do we actually understand our existing processes and how well do they work? can we actually say that they are better than this new way that we're proposing? And, and often the answer is you can't. Um, and they're almost kind of protected by that lack of visibility. But I think the realization that you need to overturn that and be open to progress rather than just perfection from the new approaches that you're taking is quite important. Yeah, great point. Aubrey, it, you're nodding when Zach is talking about some of those barriers. You know, is Tell us a little bit about how you're building capability and, you know, how you're introducing this very new kind of talent to Nationwide. It'd be interesting to get your take. 
So I think one of the main reasons why I was nodding is there there are two sides to this coin. The first is not only is information and perspective siloed for a lot of organizations, data is actually incredibly siloed. And that act, that makes it quite challenging to do these more profound machine learning techniques. Um, so one of the things that we are currently in the process of doing is establishing a data framework um, a, in a new environment and new data lake that is actually fit for advanced analytical techniques to be deployed on top of the full repository of our member data. And that comes with a lot of thoughtfulness in terms of how we want to bring that data together, starting with a logical data model and ensuring that all of our metadata is encoded in machine readable and human readable sorts of ways. Now, alongside that in parallel, one of the things that we've been really doing in terms of the advanced analytics team is really working very closely with every single one of our business stakeholders and helping explain every single pathway and every point of decision making and helping um, possibly moving a little bit slower at times, but helping them understand the techniques that we're actually deploying and have some comfort into these new approaches. And that has actually been one of the bigger challenges is really getting people who might not have been traditionally data literate to join us on that data literacy program in conjunction with the work that we're doing for them to help them understand how these methods can solve their problems in a in a better way. But I I do think, and I was going to add in that some of the challenges is also around an organization having the expectation that this can be done really quickly. You know, oh, you're using machine learning, so you're going to be just as readily available to give us answers as the likes of, of Google or some of these places that have been deploying these techniques for many more years than we have been. It's, it's really helping people understand that um, these are really hard types of algorithms and it does require complicated mathematics and getting the actual backbone of the math and statistics right is worth the effort and the time delay that it might take to solving some of the problems at this stage. Simon, I, I, I saw you nodding during that. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's a whole movement of data democracy going on. It's not the job of a bunch of guys in, with lab coats sitting in the corner solving all the world's problems for us it's part of everyone's job going forward and completely agree with Aubrey around, we want to raise the bar in terms of everyone's understanding and IQ around data. And it's nothing to be fearful of. It's something that's, you know, in all of our lives in many different ways, you know, these days we all look at how many likes and follows and, you know, we're all analyzing our own social media presences. So we're kind of use of data in our lives now. So, um, you know, it's not the job of data people. And I think as Zach said earlier, you know, oftentimes now data person, just a role, in a cross-functional team solving a business problem for the benefit of the company and our consumers. So, you know, it, it's not a, it's not another new silo. It's something that will benefit greatly from being, um, you know, brought into the general populace as much as possible. Um, this is a question for everybody. Um, if you could change or put one thing into place to unlock more effective, more widespread use of AI and financial services organizations or, or Aubrey and Nationwide, what would it be? Zach, I'll start with you. Um, mine's like a kind of small one, but one thing which I get really excited about is when 
folks can make AI and machine learning accessible to people who aren't necessarily as deeply kind of data literate. So like you don't need like Python coding to kind of play around with it and understand the implications of it. So um, as an example, some of our colleagues uh, at Publicist Sapient have this, uh, you know, uh, approach called knowledge as a service. And the way they've set it up is you can like go to a website, put the URL into it, and it will automatically digest it and convert it into a FAQ or a searchable, you know, uh, manual um, that you can use. And what I like about it is not necessarily that it's like really complex AI or ML, but what it allows you to do is to to showcase that to someone who isn't necessarily as, uh, you know, data uh, knowledgeable and they can engage with it, understand it, start to think about, you know, what are the applications that I can see using this for? And I think having little elements like that, that can bring it to life can, can probably go a long way to helping adoption. Love that. And did you say FAQ instead of FAQ? I did. Is, it, is, it, is that, I, I'm not really sure what's the proper, is it an American thing or British thing or just a Zach thing that it's called a fact for a I don't know, you. but I'm adopting it from here on out. Um, Aubrey, how about you? What's one thing you would put into place? This is going to sound completely left field, but actually better teaching of math and the applications that math can be applied to at lower level educational level. So in, in grade school, we call it middle school and high school, but getting people to understand how important it is to study the more STEM fields um, and have that appreciation early days. And then that way that ideally will translate into folks that have that more data literacy once they land into a career without having um, to go through the efforts of trying to retroactively convince people that math is a subject to study at some point in their lives. Love that answer. Simon? Um, yeah, I think rather boringly, probably results. I think like unambiguous results. Success has many authors so as soon as people start seeing results coming in, you'll find a lot of motivation to get behind some of the engagements. And that's maybe the frustration today is that still people are struggling to produce not, not kind of results from a prototype or a, PO, a, a proof of concept, if I say POC, um, but uh, you know, kind of scalable results that work over a long period of time. That's what people need to buy into, I think. And so, you know, the more we can do to, to share and, 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 um, show the results from the work that we're doing, that will accelerate adoption, I'm sure more than anything. Yeah, that feels like a virtuous cycle with the other answers as well. You know, the more results, the more we can talk about, you know, what we've learned, making people literate, making it democratized. That makes a ton of sense to me as well. So now let's pivot to what's ahead. Um, I'm interested in, you know, where people are putting their energy in the immediate future and maybe what they're hopeful for in the future. Aubrey, what's your focus for the next three to six months? Next three to six months is really establishing our foundations for our data fabric to ensure that we actually have an environment that we can deploy these more complicated methodologies. But actually, in terms of deploying real solutions, we are focusing on bringing robotics into data quality checking in terms of our customer-facing, member-facing systems, just to make sure that the data that we do have on our members is as accurate as is possible, so that when we ultimately want to use it, we can use it without fear or concern that it's going to have an adverse effect on our models and our machine learning techniques. That's great, great to hear. 
Zach, you know, when you're thinking about advising clients, um, do you, you know, do you encourage them to do more of what they are doing? Um, or do you think they should be testing more, going broader with more methods? Uh, probably all the above, but uh, I, I guess one of the things, uh, I guess, hitting, picking up what Simon had said of like needing to show results, I think is quite key. And, and I think the big thing that I've seen is there's a lot of like big ideas about data analytics and what it can do. And people have spent like a lot of money on lots of different elements of kind of bringing that to life. But I think what it really does take sometimes is a pretty ruthless focus on um, bringing to life a couple really great examples. And by that, what I mean is not you created a proof of concept and not like, okay, we had generated this unique insight over here, but actually bringing it all the way to life, you know, to live, to clients, to in the organization and having it actually up and running. Um, I think getting even one little bit, you know, one little example all the way through can actually reveal a lot about how you need to change that end to end pathway so that you can get more and more of that through. And I think oftentimes uh, clients get kind of overwhelmed by lots of different possibilities rather than just being a bit more focused on a few really important ones and making sure they get delivered. Yeah, I think that brings home nicely the importance of creating a business who's literate enough to understand the value, breaking down the silos, getting the data into place, proving it out end to end. Um, and so matter, you know, it doesn't quite matter how big it is so long as it is end to end and create value. And as part of that is like a lot of that is actually going to end up being kind of beyond just the data and AI, right? It's going to be linkages with the technology teams. It's going to be changing the kind of the functional usage and the roles and responsibilities. And so it's the realization that actually to do that change, the AI and ML and kind of data elements of it are a component, a key component, but only a component in, in a kind of bigger whole that needs to be delivered. So you're saying we all have to hold hands and do it together. Got to do it together. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we're coming to a close. Um, I thought I'd get a few last thoughts from you all, um, and I'm so grateful for your perspectives. If in the future budget were not an issue and you had the team of your dreams, you were ready to start tomorrow in Nationwide or any financial services organization, what is you know, the end-to-end -end project you would work on? Simon? Um, I think topically, um, uh, post-COVID, I think, you know, how we can help entrepreneurs get kick-started and back going. And like, it'd be great if we could use AI to kind of review their business cases and give them the right insight to help them flourish. So mm -hmm. not only just come for money from, or, you know, funding from a bank, but they come for business support to, to enable them and be partners in true growth. I think that's important for the economy and important uh, for society post-COVID. Zach? I'm going to be boring and copy Simon a bit. Uh, I, I'm very much caught up right now in, in kind of lending and uh, data and AI and, and ML and how that can play a role in kind of all elements of the lending process. And, and specifically, I think where I see a, lot, a major gap is for small and medium enterprises and, and even large corporates of how can financial service firms better serve them and then also, you know, make better decisions about how they lend to them and how they manage the, the, the money that they have lent already. Aubrey, how about for you? Dream project. For us, it's really bringing a human touch to what could feel like digital interactions uh, and really helping 
us find the best way to service every type of our member because we have vast and varied members with different issues and concerns and financial uh, considerations and just building a holistic environment that allows us to service everybody equally to the best of our ability, even when we cannot, you know, stick a financial planner for every single one of our 15 million members. It's really bringing some of that into um, computing in a way that it offsets the the human component of um, having to do that service. But with that same nationwide caring support, understanding and making sure that every interaction that we do have with our members is the best it possibly can be. All right, a couple rapid fire questions and then I will bring us home. Um, I'm gonna go all three for each of you and I'm gonna start with Zach. Rapid fire, one thing you'd change to make data and AI easier, one word to describe what it takes to succeed, and then a moment in your day-to-day -day work that gives you energy. Um, so one thing to change to make data and AI easier would be uh, better data. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Readily available. Um, one word to describe what it takes to succeed using AI and data and AI in financial services. Uh, openness. Hmm. A moment in your day-to-day -day work that gives you energy. Uh, I really like the morning. I'm a morning person. Uh, and so I have a, a nice like morning tea. And then I usually will start my day with a couple catch-ups with, you know, the people I'm working with most closely. And that, that usually energizes me. Aubrey, over to you. One thing you'd change to make data and AI easier. Metadata mm. wrapped around everything. One word to describe what it takes to succeed in data and AI in FS. Persistence. Mm. And a moment in your day-to-day -day work that gives you energy. Hearing gratitude from our internal clients. Simon? Um, I think uh, making data and AI more explainable is a core thing to opening up to more people. Um, I think a key thing that you need is patience doesn't come immediately. And the first go round isn't necessarily the best. So I think patience is a virtue that you definitely need. And the thing that triggers me is I need to find a riddle to solve, or I'm very curious. So once I find something that I don't really understand immediately, that triggers my my motivation to go find out more about something. So I need, a, I need an enigma or a riddle. <laughs> that is so on brand, Simon James. Um, everyone, thank you so much for your thoughts. I think this is a really valuable you know, conversation around where we're at really, what's coming down the pike, and not just what it takes to succeed in using this really exciting toolkit, but lessons for life, uh, openness, persistence, and give Simon Jim riddles. Um, thank you, everybody. Keep an eye out for more XBank podcast episodes. In the coming months, we'll be discussing making the most of cloud and how to build a better neobank. Subscribe to our dedicated XBank website at xbank.publicissapient.com, where you can also learn more about the how of digital banking transformation.